Jeremiah chapter 29, 1-14 This is the text of the letter that prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priest, the prophets, and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. He entrusted the letter to Elazar, son of Sephen, and to Jemariah, son of Hilkiah, whom Sedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It said, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those are carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughter in marriage so that they too will have sons and daughters. Increase in number there, do not decrease. Also seek peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel says. Do not let the prophets and the diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to the, to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place for I know the plans I have for you declares the Lord plans to prosper prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you hope and a future then you will call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart I will be found by you declares the Lord and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and place you where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. Well, friends, last week we began a series thinking about how God has called each of us and places us specifically to be where we are in the world and that we can be a witness for Jesus wherever we are, no matter where we spend the majority of our time. And we've used the word frontline to think about that space where you are. Uh, the word frontline has been used a lot during the pandemic, but we're going to use it like this at the moment. Uh, for some of you, your frontline might be your workplace. Uh, you might be at home raising kids, or uh, for some of you, maybe you look after grandkids during the week. Maybe you're at school or at uni. Uh, maybe you work from home and spend a lot of time just staring at a screen or on Zoom meetings. Maybe your frontline is a whole mix of things during the week. The important thing, I think, is that God has gifted each of us with particular skills, talents, passions, the things that make you uniquely you. And I also think it's 
that God has placed you where you are, you've got relationships with people in the places where you are as well. There's no one else with the same mix of skills and relationships that you have. And you can serve God exactly where he's placed you to be. So last week I told you about my friend who's a high school vice principal. She loves her job and it also comes with challenges as well. And at her school, it's tricky to be a Christian. For my friend, it's been a very slow process to be able to even talk about faith at all, let alone what it means to be a Christian or believe in Jesus. And that's a little bit the idea that we're going to think about today. What does it mean to fulfill our call as a witness for Jesus when maybe our front line is unreceptive to hearing about Jesus or maybe when we're in a difficult situation or maybe we just don't really like where we are at this current point in time. And so we're going to take a a look at a couple of different examples from the Bible because we're not the first people to have a difficult front line. We're not the first people to go through this, to find ourselves struggling because others are hostile to our belief. Or maybe just where we are right now is really challenging. I find that weirdly comforting that I'm not the first person to go through this or that the world around me thinks that what I believe is strange. Our Bible reading today was from Jeremiah 29 and it contains a verse that is used a lot um, because it's actually a really great verse. Um, God says to the Israelites in verse 11, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. What wonderfully encouraging words. And I, I find that actually when we read the story that they come from, they're actually even more reassuring and wonderful. Um, when, we, um, when we look at the whole story of them, we're like, wow, they're, they're even better. Um, so uh, if you were with us last term, we read through the story of Joshua and the Israelites as they uh, made their way through and entered the promised land that God had promised them. Now, this was a, a wonderful time for the Israelite community. And at the end of the book of Joshua, all the people stood up and said, yes, we will follow the Lord. And they promised and they sort of went out their separate ways and they were in the land. But we've fast forwarded quite a few years to the time of Jeremiah and the prophets. This is where this story from our Bible reading came from. And it's actually a time where the Israelites haven't been following God. They've been defeated in in battle by the Babylonians and they've been taken off into exile. This is a bleak time for the Israelites They've been through so much as a nation and this would have been devastating for them. And for us to truly understand how devastating this is, we actually need to know that this has implications for their spiritual practice too. So not only have the Israelites lost their land, their home, they've also lost their community, but they've also lost how they they practice their faith as well. So they only worship God in the temple, in the tabernacle, where God's presence is. And so to have that taken away from them is to be taken away from the presence of God. They have no knowledge or understanding that 
uh, God is with them wherever they are. That's not a concept that they had. And I actually can only begin to try and understand just how hard that would have been for them. We have this concept that God is with us all the time, and they didn't. To feel like God is not with you, it's to be abandoned. When God has promised to be with them always, they've lost that. It's dreadful. And so we read Jeremiah's letter to the people that they've actually been false prophets telling them, don't worry, Israelites, this will be over soon. You're going to go back home. You're going to get your land back. You'll get your community and your friends back together. And you're also going to be able to worship God again. What a great promise. No wonder they were like, yes, okay, hope is here. You can see how appealing it would have been for the people to grasp onto that message. Don't worry, you'll be home soon. But Jeremiah says, no, that's not right. That's, that is not what God has said. And yet he has this message of reassurance from God for them. And he has advice on how to put it into practice. So in contrast to the false prophets, the advice from God, which seems totally countercultural to what they would have thought, is actually to settle down in this foreign country, to plant gardens, to get married, to seek peace in this foreign land. And even, not just peace for themselves, peace for their enemies and to pray for them. God is asking the Israelites not just to put up with being away from home, but actually to go out of their way, to care for their captors, and to seek the, the good, to seek good for those people. This is extraordinary advice. And it didn't really hit me until this week when I was reading about it, just how, how revolutionary this was for them. And in fact, it's the first time in the Bible that we read this sort of advice, not just for the Israelites to seek their own good, um, but for the good of the enemies around them, their captors. And this is the good news of the gospel. It's completely countercultural to the world. And we see it actually again and again in the Bible after this. And actually we read it in the Sermon on the Mount earlier this year, when Jesus said, you have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemy and pray for those who persecute you. And Jeremiah goes on to explain the outcome. God does have a plan. They maybe can't see it at this moment, but God does have a plan, a plan to give them hope and a future, that they won't come to harm. Even if their current situation seems completely hopeless and black and bleak, and like there's nothing there. God is encouraging these people who've lost everything, their home, their community, their very way of connecting with God. But actually, God is faithful. Things aren't lost forever. He will bring them back from exile into community and connection again. I think that's a wonderful promise and what a great reassurance that these verses bring. I have a plan for you, a hope and a future. And I think as, as we think about what 
this means for us. Uh, what does it look like to be on the front line, to, to be called to love not just our neighbour but our enemy, those who are hard to love? Uh, sometimes it does feel like we're the first people to, to have been asked to do that. Um, but there's actually another story in the Bible that I find really encouraging, um, and it's actually from the same time period, um, and it's the story of Daniel. Um, you might know this story. Uh, there's Daniel and his three friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, and they're actually, um, they're actually four of the men who were taken into exile uh, around about the same time as Jeremiah, the prophet, and they were taken from their home and made to serve in the palace. And they were taken and asked to live in a, in a place that was completely different to their own. Uh, they, they were asked to do things that were not what they would have normally done. They did some of them and they asked to do some things the same way as their own culture. And God showed favour to them. Even in a hostile environment, Daniel and his friends kept honouring God, kept serving God, praying to him, not turning to other gods, even though the world around them was completely different. And multiple times throughout their life, we see amazing things happen. God delivers them from trouble, helping Daniel interpret dreams, saving them from a fiery furnace, uh, saving Daniel from a lion's den. It's quite the extraordinary story. I'm sure many of you know these stories. Um, and all these events, they aren't just impressive stories. They're actually moments when God is honoured because of the faithfulness of Daniel and his friends. They make their faith known. And the people around them actually give credit, not just to Daniel, but actually to, to God. They are a witness. And there's one particular story which I really love that uh, there's actually a plot against Daniel. Some of the men sort of get really annoyed because Daniel's the favoured one. And there's this moment where they sort of go, well, they can't make a plot against almost anything about Daniel because they know that he has such good character. They try and find something bad about him and they sort of growl a bit because they're like, this guy, he's just such a good guy. It's really annoying. And the only thing they could do was make a law against his religious practice. The irony of that is amazing. And even that then backfires on him because God was with Daniel and that's when he's saved from the lion's den. Now, I know sometimes we read stories like this and we're like, ugh, that's not me, I'm not Daniel. You know, I didn't get thrown in a lion's den. But here's the thing about Daniel, right? He probably lived till he was about 80 or 90 years old. Um, we sort of know that from the, the record in the Old Testament. And we get sort of a number of stories that are very, very impressive. But there would have been a lot of just really normal days. You know, there was a few extraordinary days. But there was a lot of just faithful days of Daniel going about his day. And every day he prayed. We have that moment recorded where it says, every day Daniel went into his room, shut the door and prayed faithfully to God. And I wonder, uh, sometimes we, we get a bit overwhelmed when we see the stories of the extraordinary people and we think, oh, well, I'm not extraordinary. I can't do those things. And I think that too. But actually, I think one of the things that mean that Daniel could do the extraordinary things is that on the ordinary things, he kept following God as well. 
Now, I'm not in a foreign land and I'm not surrounded by customs that aren't my own, but we can all be called to stay faithful on the ordinary days as well. And I, I think as we consider what it looks like to take up our call to live faithfully where God has placed us, whatever our front line is, and sometimes those can be really hard. Sometimes we can be in an environment like my friend who's a vice principal. You know, maybe our front line is really hostile and yet we can still be faithful. We can still keep praying. We can still uh, care and love the people around us. We might not do extraordinary things like Daniel did, and yet we can still keep faithfully serving and loving those around us. Now, it's possible that we will get called to do the extraordinary things, and in which case, that will be amazing. But I think sometimes what helps us to do those things is the many, many days of faithfulness that lead up to that. And we're called to uh, continue to follow God on those days. How we respond as a Christian, I think in the everyday, help grow our character. And we see it in Daniel, we see it uh, in Jeremiah. We might not see evidence every day, but we are assured that God is using us for his purpose in the world. He's been doing it right since the beginning of time. We'll see it right at the end of time as well, I'm sure. And I think we see it in our reading from Matthew last week that Jesus is with us. He's equipped us for his work in the world. Uh, And as we consider what God is calling us to, we're gonna take a moment to seek God, to seek his strength and courage. We need them both, I think, for the hard days and also just the average days. Sometimes the average days are just as hard as the the hard days, the days where we're not sure why he's placed us where we are. Uh, So we're actually gonna take a moment to pray in some small groups. This might be something that you're comfortable with, maybe it's something you're not comfortable with. Uh, If you're not comfortable with this, I encourage you to join a small group and, you know, listen to everyone else pray. But I think as Christians, it's really important that we uh, encourage each other in prayer. Um, so what I'd love for you to do is to um, get into a small group. You might like to just share where it is that you spend the majority of your time um, and to, to pray for that place. Um, and if you would like to, you might like to share um, someone that you interact with in that space that you might like to pray for. Um, but please do take a moment. What I'll do is in a few minutes... Uh, I'll wrap us back up again uh, in prayer and then we'll close our service singing together. But it's great that we can pray for each other as we um, serve God wherever he has placed us. So let's take some time to pray together.